Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation podcast co-hosted by myself, Lenya Wilson, a black woman, and Alexandra Titalia, a white woman. Eavesdrop on our conversations while we discuss race and womanhood at the hearth level. We really believe that honesty, openness, and love can bridge the gap between black people and white people. So let's just call this what it is. What do black women need to say to white women? What do we all face together? What do we need to own? Where and how do we show compassion? And most importantly, how do we move forward together? Yet this podcast is not all about race. Boomers, Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z, what can we learn from one another? We want to explore what womanhood means in today's world. And sometimes we want to talk about our gray hair and living in a youth-orientated society. We are not journalists, but we are open about our experiences. We want you to be in on our conversations and help us move forward one conversation at a time. I'm Alexandra. I'm a writer, professor, traveler, and all-around polymath. I'm Lenya. I'm a fashion stylist and image consultant. I'm also a competitive powerlifter. I spent a very long time living outside of the United States, and now I am back living the L.A. life. How do Black women and white women understand the term Karen, and how do we use that understanding to bridge the gaps between us? You know, it's called Karenism now. I know. I I actually did a Google search, actually. And what's interesting is I got all this information on the Karen tribe in Thailand, which is where I, w- I stayed with the Karen, a Karen family once in northern Thailand and worked on their farm. And so I, I was like completely confused. I was looking up like Karen and academic articles and it was all about the Karen population. I was like, I don't think this is what we're talking about. That was my first time when I first started um you know, looking it up, it was exactly the same too. And then I was like, what am I just, what am I saying wrong? What am I, what am I typing wrong that, you know, this was coming up, but I mean, then very quickly you figure it out. No, absolutely. So I have to ask, like, when was the first time you heard the term Karen? You mean using the word Karen and not using one of the like, you know, permit patties or anything like that, because it's all, it's all the same, but they just, yes. now Karen well, has become that overarching term. Anytime. Like, when was the first time you heard any... Because I'm just going to confess to my ignorance. The Cooper episode in Central Park, that is the first time I ever heard Karen. Oh. Ever. Really? And I had never heard Leslie. I had never heard Becky. Like, I hadn't heard... I, I Consider me oblivious to certain pop culture, like, I things that go on in this world. But I... It was completely news to me. Wow. Okay. So in the black community, we've been saying Becky for a long time. I think I sent to you this article by Lovey as well, where she describes what a Becky, a Karen and a Susan are. Those are the three sort of like differences, but I've always known about the Becky, right? And especially, you know, Beyonce made it mainstream with, you better call Becky with the good hair. Yes. All right. Well, so Becky has all has been a thing that I've known for a long time. But then there was what last year was a 2018 when that barbecue Becky came out with that woman in San Francisco who called the cops on the black family that was barbecuing in the park. 
Right. That was the first one. And then there was the permit Patty, which was that white woman who called the cops on the little black girl that was selling lemonade or water from the front of her apartment. Yeah, that's such a disgusting story. Yes. And then Karen's used to be that white woman that would call the manager. Right. You would all see all these memes. And that, I think, started way earlier, like 2015. I I, I would see memes of like, I'm going to call your manager. And then it became this like because it was always that white woman with a certain haircut. And so then they started calling it the the Karen haircut. Like and that had its a whole like spinoff. But it started for me. I remember hearing about it in like 2015. And it was that woman who called the manager all the time because they were unhappy with what they perceived the service they were getting. But so, now it's different. Like now it's the, it's that white woman that's policing everybody, even though, you know, we have well, police. And and aren't they a problem too? Yeah. So for listeners out there, instead of like us sort of having a prep meeting where we sort of talk through this, today what we did was we each sort of came up with questions like coming from a place of curiosity to ask the other person. Even with you telling me all those things, now I have all sorts of new questions. And so- <laughs> So you go first and then I have right, a few. Well, there's like, so like, so my thought is when you're saying this, like, so when we think about the woman who tattles on everybody, I guess like the first question is, can a Karen be a Karen to a white person? Yeah, but would she? I think part of Karenism is entitlement- and racism together. So that was one of my questions for you. Well, here's the thing. Like, I think I have experienced Karenism Ooh, the just other because I'm loud. Like, so I have, I have experienced. So when I was going in for my hysterectomy, I was waiting in the hospital at Cedar sinai and my sister was there and my, and Eric was there. And we were waiting and my sister and I, who have gone through like years of trauma with my mother being in a hospital, it brings out a lot of emotion for us every time somebody's getting a medical treatment done. And we're, and I'm Italian. We go to the dark place. We go to humor. It's gallows humor the entire time. So we're cracking up because she's trying to break my tension. And a woman, you know, I would essentially say Karen saying like, you know, this is a hospital. You shouldn't be laughing in here. And I then had to sort of say, excuse me, like, this is how I'm handling my experience of this. I will lower my voice, but I'm not going to not make joke. Like, I have to get through this. It became like a thing. And she went and told the manager. Okay, so that is a form of Karenism, but she didn't call the cops. No, no, no. And my life was never in danger. And like, uh, so I actually agree with you that she isn't a Karen. I do think we need to reserve that space for not just the meddlesome middle-aged woman who thinks she knows better, Mm -hmm. which I think can apply to lot. Like that is a. Cause anybody can be that. I mean, I, I know lots of like women that, I mean, my next door neighbor who well-meaning, well-intentioned is going to come across the street and tell me, Oh my goodness. Um, you know, your plant is over hanging over the, you know, right. Exactly. I mean, I remember (laughs) if I, and I, and I don't remember when I lived in San Francisco, I took public transportation everywhere and I would often be on the bus, like trying to read and like, and then sometimes like teenagers, I don't remember the races of any of these teenagers would get on the bus and they would be loud music and there would be this. And there are so many times where I was like, shut up. Like other people are trying to experience the bus. 
I'm sure they looked at me like a Karen. I didn't tell the bus driver necessarily, but I would often lecture them. Like, I'm sure yeah, no, they were like, that bitch. But it's- That's not Karenism. You didn't go the next level. I did assert my authority. Like I know better. I, you know, I gotta be honest. It While I didn't tattle on anyone or necessarily put anyone at danger for getting in trouble by a real authority, I definitely was saying your behavior wasn't up to snuff. And it was definitely more like, I'm old, I'm 29, and I know better than you, you 18-year-old. But I have to say, like, I do think that- We need to give that a different word. I do think it's a different word because it is sort of using- your age and your privilege to say, I know better. And that might be coming from white privilege, like somewhere down here, like I somehow know that there is one correct way to act, but I am not policing anybody. I am not telling, and I, it's a free for all. Well, see, that was one of my questions that I wanted to ask you. I wanted to say, do you think that it's entitlement and or race that makes a Karen? Is it, is it both racism and her entitlement? Because the Karen that calls the manager, if she's calling the manager on a white person, but unfortunately, anytime we ever see this, she's calling the manager on a black person. So I feel like a lot of it is both. But what are your thoughts? As a a white person, tell me, what what are your thoughts on, on that? I'm going to start, I have to answer it in two parts. Okay. A lot of them are coming from, I think, both in the sense that it is racism, it's otherism. And that it's coming from a place of entitlement in the sense that this is the way the world works according to me, and my way is the right way, and you don't fit in here for whatever reason, often a racist reason, and I'm going to go far. And some of it, I think, depending on the circumstances, are more racist than others. I I think to sort of just lump everything all together as like everything is always the same. I I know I could get say, no, you're either racist or you're not. But I was like, okay, that's true. But like some are coming from a pure, like you're black, you don't belong here. I don't want you here. And I think that exists. Yeah. And then I think there's other, like I'm on, you've made me uncomfortable, which is racist too, but you've Mm -hmm. made me uncomfortable. And you're, you know, you're doing something that doesn't fit in my entitled worldview. And then I'm going to, you know, call, I'm going to say whatever I'm going to say to you. Point two, though, is looking at it from a feminist perspective and the onus that women, the anxiety and multitasking that most women bear in their lives. And I'm not excusing the racism. I'm just saying the person who calls the manager, like why it's often a woman who does that. There, there are men and there's a name for a man that does it too. His name is Chad. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, poor Chad. I used to like that name. Can we just change it and call it Blaine? It's a Blaineism. <laughs> but for me, like, in, I'm trying to understand why women are trying to control their search because it's a controlling. It's an. It's a behavior of controlling. Mm-hmm. Women are often so not in control of their environments, you know, because they we are still not equal either. And I'm not saying that to supplant the the race scenario at all. I'm just saying and trying to look at the psychology of this, the frustration is like, here, let's paint a picture. And I'm not excusing any behavior, but I'm just like, as the writer in me, I'm always saying, if I were writing this character, how would I write this scene to get to that awful point? Like, what would I do? 
So in thinking that, I think this person has children at home. They have a primary breadwinner that is the man or the husband. And so even though they might call themselves equal, the power dynamic is definitely that the man is earning the money, the man bought the house. And even though we do try to say we appreciate women's work in the home, that it still doesn't fit that way. All day long, that woman is trying to keep the kids organized and try to keep rule and the husband's leaving the socks everywhere. Dinner isn't appreciated. Like the, she's trying to diet and lose the weight. And then he wants, he gets ice cream and then she has to kind of feel like a nag, like to say, please don't put that around me or please do this. And so she just is doing everything to keep control of her environment. And then she walks somewhere where she wants peace and quiet. And then there isn't. And she can't control that environment. And she tries to. Like, that's how I would write the scene. Like, to create empathy for the character who's about to do a really terrible thing. Like, not, and I, it is, so I still think it's racist. But I also think it's coming from, I think so many women walk on the edge of losing it in so many ways. And I think what we're seeing is women losing it all over the screen. None of that's excusable, but I really try to think like, what is making this woman do this really stupid thing? They seek out the black person or the person of color because there was a tape of a woman in a grocery store screaming at another woman because she's speaking Spanish to her boyfriend. You know, so they seek out. So yes, they may be wanting to control their environment, but they seek out the situation where it's a person of color or a black person that they assert their control over. They Absolutely. Don't, they don't Absolutely. do it to other white people. They do it specifically in a situation that they know they can control the situation. And then not only can they control the situation, they can also then be perceived as the victim. Absolutely. That I, I, I totally agree with you. That is exactly how that plays out. And that is when you say, is it entitlement and racism? I think it's both. Because I just don't think you can, and it might be so deep-seated racism. And that's what I think we're really right now in 2020 really talking about. We're really trying to get at what is the deep-seated racism that people use every day that people don't even recognize as racism. Part of what makes that Cooper situation so interesting is that that woman did not recognize her own white fragility or her own racism at all in that. And that's what she did. I don't, I think specifically said, I'm going to tell the police that an African-American man is threatening me. So she knew immediately. Oh, she was completely racist in what she said. And she knew it at the time, but even in her apology, I'm saying she does not self identify as a racist. So that's the cluelessness. And I think she really believes that, Lenya. I think she really believes you just misunderstood me. I think that is how deep-seated racism works, that they, and people walk around, and that's why I think people reframing this, you need to be an anti-racist. Like, it has to be more, you're walking around being a subtle racist without even knowing it. And I, I do think she fell into that category where she, even in her apology, I would never do, I didn't mean, I like, I rather than even just saying, holy shit, I'm one of the people I hate. Like rather than just saying that, which would have bought her a lot more empathy, 
and had maybe changed the tenor of the conversation, but she actually doubled down and said, I'm not a racist when she's completely a racist. But see, let's, 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 let's unpack that for a minute. I think everyone is racist. I don't think there's such a thing as a person that's not racist. I think it's just part of our makeup. It's some, it's part of what we have been told all our lives. I think everyone is racist. I think it's just about working every day to be anti-racist, right? I just feel like everyone already has it. Now, you're right in that if she had just been like, oh my God, I did something horribly racist and I am very sorry and I need to work on me and what is it that that made me even say something like that, then that would have been better. That would have showed that she understood her position. Now, I think part of the problem with saying that everyone is racist is that everyone has this idea that if you're racist, you're a bad person. We have to kind of like separate that because everyone is racist and not everyone's a bad person. It's the way you grew up. It's being racist has nothing to do with the person who you are unless you use your racism as a way of being mean or horrible to other people, right? But if you are, you've grown up this way, you don't really understand or know any other way, how is that bad? Do you know what I mean? Like if we can let go of it, if we can let go of being, uh, the, the term of being racist as being bad, then I think more people would be able to acknowledge that, that this part of them and then start to work on it. But because it's seen as such a bad thing, I think people automatically rebuke it. Oh my God, what do you mean I'm racist? And it becomes this like internal struggle that they feel like, it's, oh, am I, I'm not a bad person. I'm a wonderful person. And then, it, you know, they don't realize that it's not, we're not saying you're a bad person. We're just saying you did something that was insensitive and racist at the time. And if you would acknowledge it, then maybe we could move forward. But because you you are so wrapped in this thing that it's bad, we can't even move forward. I completely agree with that. And I think that's really important to think about. Partly, not only do I think that we have been for hundreds of years as humans been trained to be racist, I, I actually would probably go back and think that it's a territorial, tribal, reptilian part of your brain is that, you know, if we really think about back to the hunters and gatherers, we think about tribes, you really think about like you're born when you're clan and then everybody outside the clan is, is threatening your survival. And so the idea is, I just think it is like kind of hardwired into our reptilian brain that other is a danger. And that just becomes a problem, which is why we have all sorts of cross-cultural issues that also stem from it. So again, I, I think it's very interesting and a good idea if we think of racist as the neutral term mm -hmm. and you should grow up to be anti-racist. Exactly. And anti-racist is a, is a journey, just like you grow up to be a kind person and you don't say everything that you think necessarily. Or, and what was so interesting to me is I was on safari in South Africa and I went on a walking safari, which is, I suggest everybody, if they're going to do a safari, don't do some big thing, like go, like stay in a campground, live in a tent, not a fancy lodge and walk to go see the elephants. I mean, we did some driving, but it was crazy. But I remember seeing lions like make a kill and then eat. And what was so interesting to me was how neutral, there was no morality in making the kill. There was no, and then I saw actually mating. Like, and it, and it does not look pleasurable for the poor lioness at all. It looks like how we would define non-consensual sex. 
And you really start to see how species really work and everything is sort of in this land of neutrality, you know, which is about survival. And what gives humans a gift is that we have, we are sentient and we can really think and we have a conscious. And so we can sort of think and move past neutrality. And Mm -hmm. I, and I think it's an interesting way that you phrase it. And I, and that kind of brings me to, if someone has been like, someone has been a Karen in the past, what does that person do next? Everybody should be evaluating their past actions so they can move better as as a stronger person. I've been spending a lot of my time thinking about all the previous times I might've been a Karen. And I actually talked to Lenya about this yesterday and she assures I wasn't, but I am sure I have somehow asserted my privilege into something that didn't belong there. I, I can't think of some immediate instant. And since I'm a teacher, I'm often asserting myself into other people's lives. And so I need to really work on separating those two things. But how do we move forward? You said like, do you, is it that you admit in the moment, like you reflect immediately and you apologize? Like what? Well, you might not be able to do it immediately, but if you reflect and you realize that this is the issue and then you you make a genuine apology, not not doubling down and, and saying, because she didn't really apologize. So, and I don't like that we call it an apology. Uh, she made a statement. I, and I agree with you. It was a non-apology apology. It was very, yeah. it was a politician's apology. Yes. So I, I totally agree. It was, it was a an apology. It was so, an excuse. Yeah, it was an excuse. That's it. I mean, you know, the, the thing is though, when you look at women like that, that do these things, do you really think that they're going to move on? Because they've gotten to that point where they know they're weaponizing their whiteness. To the point where they know, I, I feel like inherently they know they're racist because they know that they're doing, like when you say to someone like Amy Cooper did, I am going to tell them an African-American man is threatening me, then you know immediately, she knew immediately that she was weaponizing her whiteness. She knew that he might die because, I mean, at that point in time when she did this, the cops were killing, uh, the cops are still killing black people left, right, and center. They don't, black people's lives have very little value. So she knew the value of his life to the police. And she knew that there was a very good chance that he, his life would end. And even that's that's the worst case scenario that it would end but she also knew that by getting arrested in the way black men are not forgiven for having a past a criminal past that she could be ruining his life as well as far as work socialization with other people like she knew that at the very most he could die and at the very least she could ruin his life i so, would actually say that the the least is even less than that but just as bad Because at the very least, even if she was a walking moron and who actually knew none of those things that you're saying, because let's say she, she, you know, lives completely oblivious to to the world. And if she didn't know all that, she did know for sure that she should be putting him in imminent fear. Yes. So the intent was, even if the police don't come, because, you know, you call 9-11 in the middle of the day, is somebody really going to come right away? But she knew she was, she was basically saying, you ought to feel fear because I did this. Like you yeah. back down, run away. You should be in fear of me. 
because I am white. And I just said, because all that stuff can happen, but you should feel fear. Yes. And the truth is that is a crime. That kind of threat is just a crime in of itself. So um, you had sent me that New York is actually going to have basically anti-Karen legislation. They're going to call it the Amy Cooper law. I love and is so deserving, like I deserving to her. Like, I love that that's what her legacy is going to be. Going to be. Well, you um, know, I think part of the problem I have with Karenism is that when we start calling these women Karen, we make them anonymous. And so, you know, we don't know who they are. When we should know who they are, we know who Amy Cooper is. I agree. Well, that's, you know, I feel... When this started going around, there's like somebody that I'm on Facebook with that's named Karen is very much an activist. I have a friend who is a black activist named Karen. And Karen was a really popular name in 1967 when we were when we were both born, you know? And yeah. so there's a lot of Karens and and I do have I have empathy for that because I would hate it if people were going around saying like, oh, don't be an Alexandra. I would feel really I feel hit in the gut, although I get it. You know, I I completely get it, but I feel bad with the name. I I have empathy for Karens who are getting looped in on this. And I know you had told me that you thought, um, and I agree with you that it was great that during some of the early protests, we saw a lot of signs like this believes Black Lives Matter. And I think there is a way to sort of embolden it to sort of say like, it's that idea of like growth of like, even though they're just using the name to show growth. But I wish it had a different name. And I do wish we could said, you know, remember everybody's names and it's, and don't give them the same way that the law enforcement never does want to give a serial killer like a flashy name, you yeah. know, because then all of a sudden you're kind of glamorizing it and you're not really saying, no, this person did horrific things to, you know, 15 <laughs> humans and we do not want to give it a byline that's fancy. Like, let's just yeah. use the name um, because it's a horrible thing and you should feel the horror of it. And I do think using people's individual names is, you know, it is a public shaming that hard, but that's the world we're living in. And for me, when you think about the intent, because it's been on tele, now everybody knows about Karenism. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyone who's not living under a rock. So now any activity post these events, I think is actually done with even more malicious intent because now you're just, you're on notice. And I just can't believe. But it's still happening. I gave you, did I send, I sent you on Instagram the the latest with that stupid woman in San, oh no, the latest was a, uh, was a different Instagram video, but that stupid woman in San Francisco who called the cops on the guy on his own house. I know. I mean, and then she gets so, but what's interesting now about what's interesting now is that, that she got fired and he got fired people. So basically companies don't want that kind of bad press. And so people there's, there are repercussions now for, for being a Karen or a Becky or a Susan. (laughs) I wanted to ask you, do you think it should be a crime to call 911 on black people for just being black? Should that be a, should that be a crime? Should people start actually, because what they, they always threaten it. The police always say, oh my goodness, you're using, you know, you're, but they never, I have never heard of anyone actually being charged with. With false police reporting. It's, yeah. 
that is actually already a crime in most states. It might be a misdemeanor. I don't really know. This is, sorry, folks, I haven't practiced in 15 years. But in that idea, it's already a crime. And usually when you do that, when you make a false call, you have to repay for like time and time and money wasted. I mean, that that's technically what's happened. I don't know how often, I don't know the statistics. It might be interesting to see like what the statistics are is how often that's used Maybe it needs to be used more often. Do I think that uh, uh, making it a harsher crime because there's a hate element to it? Yes. Yeah, should it be a hate crime? Because the Amy Cooper law is a hate is a hate crime. I have complicated feelings as a former defense attorney about additional things other than just looking at the act. Okay. I, I so even for me, like so, gang. I'm I'm actually against gang enhancements. I don't believe in them. I believe you do the crime, you do the time, but you don't then add on sentences for like what, you know, who your friends are or allegations of that. And honestly, I find that because I think there's a lot of racism in the system and I've, and this is like starting to go off on a tangent, but I sometimes think with bullying and sororities, I feel like sororities could be charged with like gang activity the way sometimes they police and bully young women. And Mm -hmm. so I have problems with that generally when we start adding on extras because it can be used to be racist. You know, so anytime you're sort of giving that license to say, we're going to do this and it's going to protect you, it can end up biting you in the ass. That said, psychologically, allowing there to be hate crimes for crimes against, you know, gay youth, against Black people, against people of color, I think sort of in the here and now, I do think we sort of need to have that and announce that, that we are just as a society going to not tolerate this anymore. And I, so I I have mixed feelings, but generally I think it's probably a good thing because of where we are. So when I used to teach a women in law seminar, I used to sort of start with the premise of, you know, does law lead society or does society lead the law? And this is kind of a scenario where the law can actually lead society and say, you know what, go hide under a rock. This is not appropriate behavior and we're not going to accept it. And I, I kind of think that's where we are as a country. That's kind of what we need. We need law to step in and lead the charge because clearly people aren't learning the lesson. It, it, to me, there's a certain level of stupidity with all these women who are, who are doing all these things that in the world of cell phones being everywhere and smartphones, like, just don't do it. You're going to get caught on tape. Like, don't be a moron. Like, it just seems to, do you know what I mean? Like, I just, so here's the thing, even on Nextdoor, uh, like, well, you see, know, it's that app. Yeah, Nextdoor, Ring, and then there's another one. They, these, this is... This is this is a problem. They promote Karenism. Well, I'm not even talking about Karenism, but I'm really just also talking about how dumb you have to be right now to do something stupid in public. Like I, people in my neighborhood are outing people who aren't picking up their dog shit. Like, so this seriously, they're like, I took this picture or this was on my ring. Do you see this woman walking her dog every day at eight and she doesn't do this? And it's always just, I don't know what it is. I just assume they probably had a really bad day or they forgot the doggy bag. But instead they're like publicly shaming, like here's a picture. So I am telling you, I am terrified when I walk the dog at night. Like if I do anything, like some person is gonna then post my picture like this bitch was, 
talking to herself. She looks like a crazy person. I don't know, whatever's going on. I like live in fear of being shamed out on camera for having a bad day, let alone Karenism. Like I'm just talking about having a bad day, like have what? Cutting somebody off in traffic, being rude to a cashier. Anyone who says they've never done that is lying. You have a bad day. You sometimes do that. And the idea is that all of that can get caught on tape and outed right now. Just mm-hmm. don't do it. So if you're being a Karen now, I can't even believe how moronic you need to be. Like, I just can't believe it because it's so intentional or have not having any control over your faculties at all mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. It's just like, that is like acting without self-preservation to me. That seems very weird. And so- it's letting your racism and entitlement take over your brain. Yes. And that's the shame. That just brings it back to mindfulness is that people really need to be present in their everyday moment, like living in the moment and then just checking themselves. Like people need to check themselves. And that's important. Yeah. Well, um, if they did, maybe they'd realize they were racist to begin with. <laughs> We have to think about, well, if they did and then how to move forward, right? Because the idea is here, how do we bridge the gap? Like, how are we? There's so much, so many resources now. In this, right now, this is the time to acknowledge your problems with race because the resources are everywhere now. Everywhere. There's so many books. That, I mean, I follow this amazing Instagram called Check Your Privilege. And they're about to take it offline to a website so you even have more information. Do you know what I mean? There is so much information out there. And it's in your face. So it's not like you have to even look for it because most likely someone is already posting it on your feed. So there's information. This is the time for we're in lockdown for self-reflection. Think about it and stop. If we stop thinking of racism in terms of it being an ugly, horrible thing and think of it as a, this is a learning time for me. This is a time for me to actually check my racism and learn from it. And now we move forward from it. I think we said new things. I think we added to the conversation. I hope our listeners got something from the conversation about a way to sort of think through this and to not be afraid to own your fragility and then work through it and move forward. Hope you'll join us next week for our discussion of interracial friendships. You can find us at womenbridgingthegap.com. We'd really appreciate you leaving us a review and rating in Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Links are in the show notes, as are other ways to reach us. And I'm sorry in advance that my dogs are like decided that this is the time to have the Zoomies. It's totally okay. Harry is, I took Harry on a big walk yesterday, so he's still kind of passed out from the walk underneath the desk. And Louie, I don't know where Louie is. If he falls Mm -hmm. in the pool, I'll have to actually get up and run and get him out of the pool. (laughs)